Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Welcome to this week's special edition of Why Blank Lost, which in this case is not actually about why anyone in particular lost, but rather questions and answers. Uh, Then again, looking ahead to some of the questions, some of the discussion about why, you know, uh, maybe the viewers lost. Uh, (laughs) In any case, I'm David Bloomberg, and I've had some time to recover. And our last podcast was good therapy. So I don't expect I'll be going full Bloomberg, as Rob described it on the Wandoff finale. With me, of course, as you uh, may have heard laughing a little bit there, is my co-host, Jessica Lewis, who is hopefully doing better as well. Yes, I think I have recovered. And although I didn't get a full Lewis or anything, but I think yeah. that I think both of us needed that opportunity to hash some things out, talk through it. And I, I really feel like the listeners appreciated it very much. So you going full Bloomberg was truly beneficial for, I think, all of us. Yes, I mean, it's not something that, uh, you know, I should probably do all the time, uh, but, uh, you know, when appropriate. Yes, and I think it was appropriate. I, it would needed to be done. It needed to be discussed, addressed, and now we can move forward and hopefully be a little calmer. This yes, time. hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, so this, this will be, this will be nice because we got some great questions and hopefully we can provide answers that will provide further clarification for the listeners. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, like I said, uh, it's not about any one particular player or even any six particular players today, uh, though, you know, we'll be discussing several of them and we won't be going through my survivor rules, uh, though some may be mentioned. Instead, we're going to uh, use the questions that you, the listeners, sent us. And there were a lot of them. Uh, in fact, I don't think we're going to get to every one that was sent. Uh, so I apologize in advance if we don't get to yours. But uh, you know, we asked a lot of everyone to listen to a two and a half hour finale podcast. So mm-hmm. we're going to a- try to avoid going, you know, that same length today. And, uh, you know, note that I said trying. Yes. And we appreciate that you hung in there and listened all the way through <laughs> that two and a half right. hour. That was great. Now, now, there is something special that you'll hear at the end of uh, this podcast. So you're you're going to want to make it all the way through. At least I think you will. And uh, uh, you, I'll talk more about that later. Um, as we get to the questions, you'll hear that some of you were thinking along similar lines. So some of these questions are combined. Sometimes we, you know, we'll read them all, but there are like four of them where people were thinking along the same lines or, or just slightly different. And uh, we'll answer those together. Sounds good. Okay. I like it. Now, now, before we get to the questions, we do want to mention uh, one more time, because you probably haven't heard about this enough. 
the poster created by Eric Reichenbach and Jessica using my survivor rules that we've been talking about. And you can find that at tinyurl.com slash David rules poster. Yes. And I will add that, unfortunately, at this point in time, all of the signed posters of both David Bloomberg and myself are gone. But if you are interested in at least having me sign a poster, I can still do that. Clearly, David and I don't live that close to each other, so we can't both sign the posters. But perhaps we can figure that out for uh, another time. And then also, I want to add that if anyone is interested in having not only my signature and David Bloomberg's signature, but signatures of other survivors, I do have a framed why blank lost poster with all of the rules up on eBay as well for uh, hearts of reality. I'm raising money for that it's coming up in August. There are already a bunch of signatures on the frame itself and everyone who attends hearts of reality in August will also be signing the frame and whoever bids the highest amount will win that framed poster with all of those autographs. And I would be sending it out to you in August. So that way the people who are at hearts of reality can actually sign the poster or the frame. So check that out on eBay as well. I don't have the link in front of me. If you go to my Twitter, you can, find it it's there the link is there you can click on it and the bidding finishes tomorrow around 11 o'clock a.m so make sure you check that out and place a bid if you're interested and uh, by tomorrow we mean monday yes by monday so hopefully, so hopefully you'll hear this right. by monday right and if not uh, again you can get the regular poster at uh, tinyurl.com slash david rules poster so with that uh, I don't have my normal uh, intro here to say, and let's find out why Blank lost, because, well, uh, nobody lost. Uh, <laughs> so let's find out what the questions are. Yes. And so we should start with our first question, who is, was written by William Hammond or sent in by William Hammond. And he actually used to write for you, David, at Reality News Online. And his question is, sadly, there is only one question for this finale. Ahem. What the bleep? <laughs> so there you are. Yeah. And uh, he did not say bleep. So, uh, it, you know, that's that's a very good question. And I, I think we answered a lot of this question in our finale podcast. But as a shorter version, I would say the producers got so high on their own ideas that they failed to see how ridiculous an outcome it could give us. Yeah. I mean, I do think that we went through this ad nauseum in our last podcast, but I do agree as well. I, I think the idea of it was kind of one that Maybe they didn't realize what the ultimate outcome could be. But even if they did, I think they really got caught up in this in the theme itself and the hopes that maybe it would cause Joe to win. It's just there's all mm -hmm. of these what if scenarios and things that we could run through. But I, I think that their hope was that they could create a winner that normally wouldn't have been the winner like a Joe. And that's what they got lost in as opposed to maybe viewers won't be real thrilled. if Even if that was the outcome, I don't think viewers would have been thrilled. Well, I think uh, there was a subset who would definitely have been happier if Joe won. Oh, I agree. And I think CBS would have loved it because we yeah. even saw Jeff talk to him during the finale. Like, can someone like you win? Well, you right. tried. CBS tried to make yeah. someone like him win. The answer is, if you guys couldn't do it in this one, no, you can't. Yeah. But, all right. Next question from Trav is living the dream. Uh, could Edge of Extinction be okay slash better 
if they stopped after the initial player comes back or the post merge only includes players voted out after the merge. And actually, this is one of those questions we had multiple versions of. So Jason Warren also asked, could this twist have been salvageable if they did a returning player from Edge of Extinction at the merge, wipe the edge clean and started with voted off players from the merge on? Uh, Matthew uh, Muccia uh, said, uh, do you think the Edge of Extinction twist would have been slightly better? If they had isolated each voted out survivor on their own island, uh, imagine Reem being alone for 32 days without knowing what's going on. I think more people would quit and they'd have no insight to jury. And FQ uh, said if Reem won, would it have been more satisfying than Chris, considering she had a better edit? Was it Edge of Extinction as long as it's possible to be and went would have gone from first boot to sole survivor, which would have at least given her a memorable character arc. So uh, we had what did I have? four people there asking similar questions. And by the way, I should have said ahead of time, I apologize if I massacre anyone's name. Uh, so uh, sorry, I'm doing my best. Yes, I apologies for me as well on that if I massacre your name. And the, the quick answers to, I think, these four <laughs> questions are yes, 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 and no. That would, that would be my, my very shortened answer answer to that and i this was something that we talked about in our wrap-up podcast as well why chris won but i do agree that the idea of edge of extinction could have been successful if they had stopped pre-merge and when devins came back into the game that was it edge of extinction was over that was your one opportunity to get back in the game and everyone who had been voted out at that point is not on the jury because then we don't have that issue of the jury being tainted by the potential winner coming out of an individual or out of a group of people who have been hanging out together for what we had here, 28 days. So I think that it could have been better if, yes, they had stopped there, wiped everything clean. Everybody goes on their way and we have the same jury that we would have seen in past seasons where pre-merge or, you know, anyone who's out pre-merge, they're not part of the jury. Anyone who's out post-merge, yes, that becomes our jury. And I also love this idea, if you really wanted to include those individuals, those jurors like Reem who had been voted out first, if they had to be by themselves, completely sequestered, because then you don't have that tainting of the jury. And then I do think that you see people really struggling who are out, edge of extinction, living on their own, having to survive. I don't think very many people could have done it because that's extremely difficult to be completely isolated for so long and on an island and having to survive. So I think that that could have been a much more interesting dynamic to watch. As far as Reem winning, I don't think that that would have made people happier. I think we all love Reem. Reem was great. She was wonderful TV. But I think we still run into that same issue and maybe even potentially worse where you have someone who was voted out first and ends up winning. I think it's impressive what she did. She stayed out there on Edge of Extinction for so long. Kudos to her for doing that. That's incredible. But I don't know if the response would have been better because she was more entertaining. I think it still would have had that same feeling for viewers that really the person who got voted out first just one survivor. So it might have been it might have been even more uncomfortable for people to accept. Yeah, uh, I'll add my own thoughts. Uh, could the twist have been OK? No, uh, <laughs> it would have been less terrible you know in my opinion um you know because i i'm on you know rob has said this uh also about stopping at the merge and i'm on his side and also christian hubicki said on the podcast a few weeks ago that crazy and unpredictable things can sometimes happen pre-merge so it's it's not the worst thing in the world to bring a person from that stage back into the game 
we've all seen people go pre-merge who we say, oh, we thought they'd do really well. And just something happened. Now, there's no guarantee that that would be the person who would come back. Uh, but it, it can happen. So it would be less terrible. As for the isolation, I agree with you. Yeah, that would be great. And that is what Big Brother typically does. But it's a lot easier to put people in hotel rooms uh, on Big Brother than it is to find a bunch of separate deserted islands. Yes, uh, and so, that's true. So, plus, there is something a little cruel and unusual about expecting someone to survive on their own on an island for 32 days. Um, oh, yeah, know. I wouldn't say it would certainly wouldn't be easy. And I think it would shock right. the viewers if they had to actually watch people suffering like that. But yeah, I mean, we'd have to, uh, you know, the thing is, there's no way we could get that into TV. Can you imagine cutting away to 15? Or, well, not 15. Well, I guess it was 15 if two hadn't quit. Uh, 15 different people, how they're each individually doing on their island. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I do agree uh, that, yeah, I think more people would have quit in part because I think some didn't quit because Reem hadn't quit. Yes. If we had gotten a different first boot. You know, if Keith or Wendy had been the first one out and they had quit, I think it would have been less discouraged for other people to quit. Yeah, no, um, I agree. Um, as for Reem winning, uh, no, it wouldn't have been better. Um, to me, it would have been worse because, you know, the only things worse than the third person voted off winning would be the second or first. But um, but it, it is true that at least we would have known her. Yeah. You know, there wouldn't have been that situation and the more casual viewer would have been like oh i know her and there would have been a reason to have all of that video we saw of her mm -hmm. um so so worse from the standpoint of survivor better from the standpoint of the tv show mm -hmm. yes okay our next question comes from andrea trantham if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and if I'm not, I apologize. I know we are all or nearly all frustrated with this season. I think it would be interesting to hear what parts of this experiment you would find worth doing again, besides all of the ream all of the time, of course. <laughs> uh, this, this answer is short and uh, will surprise very few people. I found none of it worthwhile, uh, so I wouldn't want to see them do any of it again. I love that it, the going full David Bloomberg might just be coming back. It's like you're reliving all of these horrific moments in your mind and you're like, damn it, we're still talking about it. That's great. Uh, yeah, I, I think that Survivor has teased this experiment before. I mean, we saw it in previous seasons with the and I always forget what they called it, but they did bring people back who had Redemption been Island out. and the Outcast. The Outcast, yes. yes. And the Outcast was horrifying, but they did yes. it then. They did it again with Redemption Island, a much different type of twist where you really had to fight your way back into the game on multiple, you know, multiple times. But they, they have teased this idea quite a bit and they've done things very similar. But I, again, I think that this experiment loses the idea of what Survivor is. And do I think it could have worked if it had been done differently? Yeah, we just addressed that. In my view, I think maybe it could have been redeemable. It could have been something that people could have gotten behind. But in this type of circumstance with this outcome, clearly the viewers were not in support of it. And I think that should speak volumes to CBS that this experiment didn't really go the way that they had hoped. Yeah. All right. And then that's sort of related to the next question, which is from Anthony Webb. Will the Chris win spell the end of Survivor ever having Edge of Extinction or Redemption Island after the merge again? You know, 
I don't know, honestly, because CBS continues to do things that we find baffling. Again, I I love the show. I love CBS and I appreciate this idea that they want to keep surprising people and they want to keep things new and interesting and different. But at the same time, I think that Survivor is one of those types of games that people will appreciate without all of these twists and without all of these weird themes or added components to it because the game itself is so raw and so incredibly interesting and is such a play on people's emotions and and just people having to be in a social setting they've never found themselves in before and needing to survive. I think that part of the game could really bring the game forward and continue the game and continue having people watch it without all of these extras. So I don't know if they would really say, oh, you know what? that didn't work out. Let's not do it again. Cause they might just be like, Hey, let's try a little bit of a different twist with it this time. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, uh, my answer to that is I certainly hope it means the end of it. Uh, but I've learned that when it comes to uh, survivor production, never say never. Yeah, absolutely. So. Okay. So I, I, I'm trying to keep pace with all of this. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question comes from Thomas Zelenka. And it is, did the edge happen because Mike White was too busy playing to tell Jeff what a bad idea it is? Yeah, and I know that this uh, may have been a, a bit of a joke question, but I do think the edge actually did relate back to David versus Goliath because of all the big characters we lost in the pre-merge there. Um, now, on the other hand, I think I mentioned last week that I believe I'd read that this concept was the original one for Ghost Island, meaning it had been discussed for at least a year probably more I, I do wonder though if all the big personalities we lost in david versus goliath pushed them to do this concept because when we lost them at the time we were like ah oh, god mm-hmm. we wish we could have cameras on that jury trip yes and you know i wonder if producers were thinking the same thing well and we have been seeing that a lot i think as the seasons have progressed that we are losing bigger players pre-merge and it is frustrating the viewers because there's someone that you really like or appreciate their gameplay and they're getting voted out. So I, I think perhaps CBS was looking at this and thinking, how can we bring a potentially great player back who we lost because they were playing so great pre-merge? And who knows if this was the idea behind it? Perhaps it was. And unfortunately, yeah, I don't think anyone really told them the bad that could come with the potential yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up from uh, Lindell from Australia. Is jury still an appropriate term for the group of people who decide the winner? Uh, this season basically allowed the defendant to get sequestered with his jury, uh, you know, as as we discussed. So, Madam Prosecutor, I would call it a tainted jury yeah. and that there should be a mistrial <laughs> that yeah. should be declared. Yeah. So that's that would be my thoughts on on the jury itself. Yeah, and I, I think it still meets the general definition of a jury. Uh, the producers just screwed up the basic concept, as you talked about last week, uh, regarding how a jury is supposed to operate. So mm-hmm. I, I like yes. that. A tainted jury that then call for a mistrial. <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely be declaring a mistrial on this one. Okay, our next question comes from Rich Batch. Did the show miss a massive chance to modernize by running a companion web series about the edge? which could have freed up time and given the result provided more story. Uh, Yeah, I do think they blew it in this regard. They have CBS all access and people like us are paying for content. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But instead of giving us more content, which would have been great, especially for the exact result we got, they gave us less by cutting out the web confessionals partway through the season. As a paying customer, it's very frustrating. As a survivor viewer, it's also very frustrating that they promoted the edge of extinction. The winner came from there. The jury voted for him in part because of how he acted there. And we barely saw any of it. They have the perfect platform and they didn't use it. Yeah. And we see this and I hate to make comparisons to Big Brother necessarily, but Big Brother provides like, is it like 24-7 access to like what's going yeah, on in the house? That's how they advertise it. And then they uh, black it out at certain points. But well, yes, and roughly. they do. But th- so there is the possibility of, of structuring something like this where people mm-hmm. could actually see what's happening on the edge of extinction without running into the 42 minute window of time that we're allowed to actually have survivor on our televisions. And that or us as viewers and people who are looking for extra content or extra reasons why certain things have happened in the game and trying to understand things could have had an opportunity to view the additional edge living, if you would. It would have been great to see that because I do think a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads because we don't really know our winner like we like to know our winner. Right, right. All right. Uh, more Moira Swiatkowski. I hope I didn't kill that name too badly. Uh, Asked, did the strategic players like Aubrey, David, and Wardog have Stockholm Syndrome? Is that why they voted for Chris? Uh, Larry Miller similarly asked, how come Aubrey called Gavin, Victoria, and Eric phenomenal players, but then cast her vote for Chris as a replacement level player? And uh, Deb added, where is David Wright? Is he in hiding? (laughs) I do think that there was an interesting effect that occurred on all of those people who are living on the edge of extinction and then had to consider an individual who had been living with them in the final three. And I mentioned this on the last podcast we had, and I don't know if I explained it really uh, well enough, but the fact that these individuals who had been living with Chris then have to determine whether or not his game is worthy of their vote are really also looking back at themselves. Because if if the one issue that they all have with him sitting in the final three is you don't deserve to be sitting there because you were living on the edge of extinction, it really causes them to have to look at themselves and say, well, if he doesn't deserve it, then I didn't deserve it. Then why was I on the edge of extinction? Why did I stay? Why did I put myself through all of that for all of those days in hopes that I would get back in the game? And if I'm going to say that he's not, a winner or he shouldn't be winning the game because he was living on the edge of extinction. Well, then I just wasted the last however many days I spent on the edge of extinction. So it really does come back on them as questioning their own game and why they did what they did. And so I feel like they were put in a very precarious situation because they didn't want to look at Chris and say, well, you don't deserve it because of where you've been living because then they're calling into question why they even went to the edge of extinction themselves. So I do think that it was it was a really hard thing for them to to realize and to say, yeah, because as a as someone who is on a jury, you are looking at the person who is sitting there and saying, well, how was their game in relationship to everybody else who's sitting here on the jury? Like, do they deserve it more than any of us do? And in this particular situation, they're all sitting on the edge of extinction together. So I think it put them in a really in a really tough spot. So I I think they were willing to give him a little bit more leeway because he had been going through what they had been going through and they understood it. And so for them, they didn't want to say, well, it doesn't make him deserving as a survivor winner. And so I do think that 
it really did affect their ability to vote for the winner in the appropriate way that they should have voted for a winner. I think it was truly tainted. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't have much more to add. I don't think it was technically Stockholm syndrome, but I do think there was something similar in terms of psychology um, for, for the reasons that you just discussed. Plus, Aubrey even wrote, as we discussed last week, how the experience changed her. And from that standpoint, they were just predisposed to reward the person who had been on that journey with them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I, last week I said if I were in similar circumstances, I would hope I'd be able to put that aside and be objective. But some of those people, there are pretty objective people. Uh, you know, David Wright is a, a, a very objective uh, a person, and I agree with him on a lot of things. We talked about it in the preseason podcast. He has a lot of the same uh, uh, thought patterns that I do. And so, you know, it's possible I'm wrong. Maybe it's such a human reaction that it's so difficult to put aside that even the most objective can. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. Uh, like I said, I would still like to think that I would, but. Yeah, yeah. What can I tell you? Uh, you didn't answer uh, where David Wright is, uh, but I, I don't think he's in hiding. I think he's uh, busily writing for the upcoming Star Trek cartoon show. Yes. And he, I don't think he's in hiding. And you have to no. understand, too, someone who goes through that experience, who is on the jury and casts a vote. And I've been there when people who watch the show then want to question the reason for why the jury did what they did. And. And I can just I can speak to my season. People were saying that Adam was a pity vote. And now I know that he was not a pity vote. And everyone who was on that jury with me knows he was not a pity vote. And it was very clear, I think, from the way that he played the game, that he was not a pity vote. But it is hard when you it's like you disappoint the viewers when you don't give them what they necessarily want. And it's because, well, they're not out there. They don't understand. They didn't see what we were going through. And I think a lot of the people who were on this season are struggling with that as well. That well, you don't know because you weren't there and you don't know what it was like. And it was so hard. And we went through all of this and we bonded. And, and so I, I don't think it's being in hiding, but it's also, I just, maybe they don't feel like they need to legitimize what their decision was for us. Yeah. Uh, or they know they'll get blowback from people like me on Twitter. You know, <laughs> that is true. Very true. <laughs> all right. Uh, Next question is yours. Okay, so this comes from Stephanie. And based on your rules of Survivor and who won, who should have won? And will you need a revision or is this just an asterisk season? Uh, It's so difficult to say who should have won because we have to ask where we draw the line. If we say everything happened as it it, would have, but you're just asking how the vote should have gone, then I would say Gavin should have won. If we say it's, you know, uh, nobody should have come back post-merged, then I would think either Rick or Victoria would have won. Uh, if, we, if we say nobody should have come back at all, well, then it starts, you know, really eating into a large chunk of the season as to who was, who was pushing the action at any given time. And it gets too difficult to find out what might have happened differently. Uh, but if we're just saying everything happened exactly as it did, who should the jury have voted for? I would say Gavin. Um, so as for whether the rules will need a revision, they get revised a little bit every season. And I mentioned last week that the special corollary in rule two will probably be moved to the first rule unless something hits me about why it shouldn't between now and then. Uh, other than that, I, I, I'm sure there will be a few other changes, but nothing huge because, you know, as Stephanie said, this is an asterisk season. Yes, no, I completely agree with that. And I do think that 
if we were just looking at this game the way that the game has always been played, yeah, Gavin makes more sense as a winner because it's outwit, outlast, outplay, and that's 39 days, and that's what he did. So it's unfortunate that it is going to be an asterisk season, but that's what it's going to be. And I don't think, based on your response to it, David, that you'll be changing too much because of this season. Probably not. All right, next up from uh, Giovanni Orellana. uh, Was was David Wright right? Was David Wright right? uh, About targeting Wentworth, or should he have tried to put aside his fixation on her and work with her at the start? Oh, I think he absolutely should have put aside his fixation on her and worked with her because we saw what happened throughout the season. As soon as the meat shield went away, who was the next person to follow? The person that was utilizing that meat shield. And I think that it would have been so much better for him to work with her and actually form a relationship because later on in the season, when we saw that he suddenly did need her, when things got really crazy, there was still not an interest by Kelly to work with David because she didn't necessarily trust him from all of the game that they had played previously. So I do think that it would have been to his benefit to use her as an individual who could have helped kind of block him as a meat shield, but also everyone seemed to be targeting or had this idea of targeting the returning players. You want to keep the returning players around as protection for you as a returning player. So I do think that it would have been to his benefit to work with her as opposed to against her. Yeah, I'll take the flip side of this argument because Aubrey, ah. and Joe, yeah, Aubrey and Joe worked together at the beginning and they were targeted in part for doing that. I think one thing that kept David and Kelly safe uh, early on was the fact that they were working separately. They each had their own little groups. And if they had both come together, I think War Dog or Lauren or someone else might have found that to be too threatening and gone after one or the other with David being the most likely one to be targeted first. You know, if 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 War Dog or Lauren see David kind of uh, worming in with with Kelly, they might be like, no, we don't we don't want that. We have our little group here. We're getting rid of you. That's very interesting. I do think that that's an interesting view to take. Hmm. Maybe you've made me reconsider. <laughs> All right. I like it, though. All right. Our next question comes from Larry Miller. Was Rick too mean with the fake idols like Angelina from last season? Well, you know, one thing I found out from le- from interviews was that Rick planted those fake idols before he found his real one. So he had an actual game reason for it. He was trying to get them to find the fake ones so that he could find the real one. You know, they'd find those and then he, you know, think that it was real, which would leave him more time. And he asked Chris to pick them up once he found his real idol, but they were too late. Uh, they actually heard julie running around and uh, finding it and then they couldn't do the other one either so again there was an actual reason for planting them now did we see him having fun watching lauren find the fake one yeah it sure looked like it but i don't think it was mean-spirited he did it for a game reason and then it was found by someone who uh, both had been trying to get him out of the game for days and days and also who they you know i think they all had a good a fairly good relationship in terms of socially back at camp. So no, I don't think it was mean-spirited. Yeah, I don't think it was either. I do think that a lot of what you do on Survivor, there if there is a game reason behind it, well then, that's why you're doing it. And I I don't think that what he was doing was mean, as David already explained. He was trying to stop them from finding the real idol. And so that's that's an interesting way to approach hiding of fake idols because it is 
This is a great game move. If you can make other people stop looking and gives you more time to find the real one, great. I think that it's all about delivery. And Angelina's delivery was just, was a little bit different. And I think it rubbed people a little bit, you know, the wrong way. But again, it's all about what type of game you're playing and how you're playing the game and why are you doing what you're doing? And I think in Rick's situation here, yeah, I mean, he had a, a very interesting reason for doing what he did. But yes, he did have fun with it because it was still kind of fun, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was entertaining. But yeah, I do, I do think that it was, it's a little bit of a different scenario. Right. All right. Uh, we have the return of Travis living the dream, uh, asking, based on the votes and connections formed, on the edge of extinction, do you believe any other player from the finale besides Rick could have beaten a returning edge of extinction player in the final three? And uh, also Jake Goldblum had a similar question, uh, which is, do you think Lauren or Victoria beats Chris Underwood in the end? If Chris is with the jury the whole time and they love him, uh, did it have more to do with Gavin not being liked than it does a problem with extinction? And also Ben Martell asked, could Victoria have convinced the jury to vote for her instead of Chris if she were in Gavin's spot? So all these questions are about different permutations of that jury. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to figure out who's going to do what, depending on who the three sitting there are. But I will say this. We have some information coming from the jury about Victoria. And how do we have that information? We got it from Chris. So we go back to this weird, like cyclical thing where we have information from the jury that we shouldn't have otherwise in this particular type of circumstance. We knew that Victoria was, according to Chris, the one that the jury was thinking could win the game. And so he was telling other people she needed to get voted out. Is that true? I think it is true. But again, we shouldn't even have that information. So based on what the jury is telling Chris, I do think that Victoria could have had strong arguments sitting there in the final three. Because it did sound like she was one of the individuals that the jury was very mindful of. I do think that Lauren could have had an interesting uh, fight against Chris, even if Chris had been with everyone from the edge of extinction. Because I do think that she had some very strong uh, support on the jury. You know, she had Kelly. There was War Dog. I do think that they would have been probably fighting for her and maybe even David. And possibly even Rick, if Rick had been sitting there, too. So I think that Lauren would have been an interesting individual to see sit next to Chris, because I do think that she would have had a different type of game to argue because she went to tribal council almost every time in that first 17 days, which is one of the things that Julie was getting uh, guff for. And so was Gavin was that they didn't have to go to tribal council. She really did. She had to fight to stay in that game. So I think that would have been an interesting person to see sitting next to Chris. But I do think that it would have been very difficult for anyone to beat Chris because of what we've already talked about. And I, I know it was referred to as Stockholm syndrome, but there is something to be said about the relationships that were created by the individuals on the edge of extinction, especially with Chris, and that he was providing for them. He was helping them survive. And I think that that would have been a very very large hurdle for anyone to argue against because you're going against the people who are sitting there making this decision. You're basically telling them they're not worthy either. And I think it would have been really hard. Yeah, I think you uh, did a good job of hitting that. And by the way, I think I said uh, the makeup of the jury. What I really meant was the makeup of the, the final three there. And uh, I th you, you said most of this already. I think Victoria and Lauren would have potentially been able to make better arguments. 
um, you know, for example, Victoria said in an interview that she believes she's a better public speaker than Gavin, as one example. And uh, you already mentioned that Victoria was more of a threat, which is why he targeted her first. Now, one thing I do want to note is that being more of a threat doesn't make her enough of a threat to beat him. Mm-hmm. It just meant she was a higher threat. So we don't know for sure that she would have won. There just might have been a better chance. And, but, you know, I'm not sure, like you said, how those votes would have necessarily changed. I think she would have gotten Gavin's vote, whereas Gavin didn't get her vote, but one vote wouldn't have been enough, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's that inherent bias, bias that you talked about. And, uh, no matter who it is, um, unless they manage to get to the end with a big flourish that knocked out some of what Chris did, because Chris, you know, said he had to follow a very specific path. Um, but even even then, I think some of the justification for the votes was rationalization. And I think that if he hadn't done one or two of those things, he still might have gotten all those votes. Yeah, no, I agree. Oh, it's so crazy. All mm-hmm. right. Our next question comes from Margaret Weeks. Who else from the edge could have beaten Gavin and Julie in the final three? Yeah. So this is another uh, you know question related to, but not the same as those previous questions. And the real question for me here is who else from the edge could have gotten to the end? Because as we discussed last week, if someone who was a more obvious threat like Joe or Kelly, uh, they probably would have been targeted right when they got there uh, if they didn't win immunity. And so whoever it would have been would also have needed to work with people like like Chris did with Rick and Lauren. So maybe Kelly could have done it, uh, you know, with Lauren and gotten the half idol back if she made it to the final five vote. But most of the others didn't have the connections to make that happen. You know, maybe Wardog could have worked with Rick and Lauren, but it did involve winning a challenge to get back. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I can't think of anyone else. Uh, so. It, if someone had come back like a Joe and just immunityed and idled their way to the end, they might not have won uh, because supposedly uh, the edge uh, people were saying, no, you can't just do that. You got to show that you played. But uh, it just depends on, again, how the jury might have rationalized things. It's quite possible that almost whoever came back, if they spent a significant amount of time on edge of extinction, that they would have won. Yeah. And again, we shouldn't know any of this information from the jury, right? We shouldn't right. know that. Well, especially if you the get, players shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you get back into the game, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to get our vote at the end. Like, that's so not fair. <laughs> like, but nobody should know that. Nobody should know what they have to do if they get back in the game in order to get a vote to win. But I agree with, with everything you said, that it, it would have been, I think, a difficult feat for certain individuals to get to the end because I do think, you know, Joe or Kelly would have been a much different uh, person to not target. You know, if that individual came back in and, and to not target them right away would have been insane, which I think Chris was the same thing. It was still insane to not target Chris yes. when he came back in. So, yeah, I mean, I don't you know, I don't know if if we would have obviously seen the same result if someone else had come in if they had done all the things that Chris did to get there and whether or not they would have made the final three but yeah I mean it's it's a whole lot of what ifs and could have showed what is but yeah I just I feel like the fact that we've been provided so much of an 
of an idea of what this person who was coming back from the edge of extinction needed to do to win clearly shows that the people who were on the island were discussing an edge of extinction winner and how to make that happen, which is disturbing. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, before we move to our next question, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor if there is one in your area. If not, we'll be back even quicker. We're back. So let's go on to the next question, which is from Brian Altschul. Uh, One thing I'm wondering about is what could Julie do differently? And he said he asks this not so much for Julie, but for her archetype. Uh, It seems that this type of player is doomed to be taken to the end and be a zero vote finalist. So what can the quote unquote middle aged mom do differently? Are you trying to set me up here? No, I would never do that. Well, listen, here's my thoughts as a middle-aged mom. <laughs> you know, that You're middle-aged. What am I? Well, I will well, answer that. Here's the thing. In Survivor, middle-aged, like the year that that's going, it's not what middle-aged actually is. You're no, no. in your 40s on Survivor. You're considered old. It, it's yeah. very disturbing. But here's my thoughts on this. I don't think that it's necessarily the middle-aged mom like doom or anything because if you look at people that we've had in seasons past uh we denise actually won her season tina won her season chrissy hoffbeck would have won her season but for the fire making challenge and these are all women that fit into that archetype and i'm sure that there's others but then you can also look at individuals who are no vote finalists who don't fit into that archetype and again there have been a lot, but you know, recently we've had Lauren, we've had Ryan, um, Hannah. I mean, these are, I mean, Ken, I mean, these are all people that I think you end up being a no vote finalist, not necessarily because of who you are, but it's really about how you play the game. And are there concerns of being that archetype? Yes. And I think that everyone who plays Survivor understands the archetype that they come with and they have concerns about it. I was concerned. I didn't want people to know that I was a mom and that I was as old as I was, but I had the benefit of appearing younger than I am. And so it, it, you know, that worked to my benefit, but I do think that everybody struggles just a little bit with that archetype and it depends on what you do in the game with it as to whether or not you would be a no vote finalist. And so I don't think that you'll be doomed if that's where the category you fall into, because we've seen other women do exceptionally well who are in that archetype. Yeah. Now, for me, if I look specifically at Julia, it's a tough situation because my initial answer is she needed to be seen as, well, to to continue the metaphor from the season, a pilot instead of a passenger. Mm -hmm. She did push for some moves, but other people always got the credit. And from what I've seen and read about, I think that credit was appropriately given to those other people. Uh, You know, just look back at what we talked about, the Julia move. Well, she came into that tribal council wanting to get rid of Julia. But it wasn't really her who turned the tables. Yeah, she eventually named Julia. Mm -hmm. But if David and Wardog hadn't gotten things spun out of, I'm sorry, Rick and Wardog hadn't gotten things spun out of control, she wouldn't have been in that position. So just having the intent isn't enough. Right. And, you know, so the other thing is being an older woman who acts more like that, you know, more friendly, uh, mom-like. And then stab someone in the back tends to get viewed negatively by the jury because, like it or not, they were seen as the mom figure who turned on them. Mm-hmm. And so I think the best thing to do is never let yourself get painted with that mom brush. 
which is not easy. I mean, Reem came in saying, I am not going to get painted with that mom brush. But then her actions caused her to get painted that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you really have to follow up and not be that way. And it's it's difficult. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely is. Definitely. All right. Our next question comes from Tailwind. Tailwind. Thank you. Tailwind Woodruff, who also used to write and edit for you at the Reality News Online. So thank you very much for continuing to support David Bloomberg. All right. Do you think if Gavin had acknowledged how hard it was on Edge of Extinction and that the jury had made bonds with Chris and then moved into the challenges he faced of playing a full game, that it could have helped him? His strategy was insulting the jury. And Rowena Rubin also asks a similar question. What do you think Julie and Gavin each could have said differently at Final Travel Council in a way that the jury would have voted for them instead of a Chris win? Uh, To start with the last part, I don't think there was anything Julie could have said at final tribal council to change any minds. Um, I, I, I think that the jury already had their minds made up about her. And so I, I really, I mean, short of, Hey, if you vote for me, I'll split it all with you. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything that, that she could have done uh, for Gavin. I'm not sure what he could have said. And this is something we talked about a little bit, you know, that I, I don't think that acknowledging that the edge was hard and the jury bonded with Chris would have changed anything because they just agree with him and still vote for Chris. Mm -hmm. It's like, you never want to make your opposition's case for them. You know, uh, you're a lawyer, you know that I've been in hearings as a a witness. I know that you, you never acknowledge the opposite side's case because they'll just say, Oh oh, yeah, you're right. Now I'm going to vote for him. Yeah. Uh, And you know, I think he tried to explain the challenges of playing a full game, but, from what he said, they acted dismissively towards that. So I, I think that despite how many of the jurors raised their hands and said they were up in the air before things really got going, many of them did have ideas already in their mind, and that's hard to change. They wouldn't let him use his best argument, which left him in a very difficult position. Yeah, no, and I do think that it's it's one of those situations where it was already going to be an uphill battle because of where the jurors were all coming from. These people were not coming from a place that jurors normally come from in this game where they've had time to separate themselves from the game. They've been at Ponderosa. They've been living normally. And I'm using air quotes when I say that as much as they can. And then coming back into the game during tribal. These are people that want almost want credit for what they've been struggling with and going through when they're on edge of extinction. And to dismiss any of what they've gone through is certainly not going to bode well. And I think that Gavin struggled with that a little bit. But again, it's this it's a very difficult place to find yourself in, because if you do acknowledge how hard it is, as you said, David, then you're giving credit to Chris. And I think that Gavin might have been better off trying and he did try, but really trying to focus on the the game and the 39 days that needed to be played to get there. And he again tried, but he wasn't allowed to really go down that path. So I think it was he found himself in a very, very difficult and tough spot to really change anyone's mind from where they were coming from. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question is uh, another one from Tomas Zelenka. What is the best way to shake the perception of being a goat? Uh, because once after the merge, you're marked as one, you will have a hard time getting credit for any collective move, which is most of them. Yeah, I think this is really, really hard for anyone who plays Survivor because perception 
is what it ultimately comes down to. How you are perceived is how people will decide your game. And it really doesn't matter if you feel like Julie felt she was leading the charge and playing a very strong game. She was perceived as not being a pilot, as you said, being a passenger. And it's it's unfortunate that you you will be deemed to have played the game that the jury perceives you playing. And so the only way that you can really try to avoid being seen as a goat is being actively involved as much as you can in all of the decisions that are transpiring. Because what we have been very taught to expect is that the big moves, you know, everyone, everyone wants big moves in order to win the game. So there needs to be something more than just kind of being under the radar and working your way through and working with the correct people. You have to do something that the jury can look at and they can remember and be mindful of in order to avoid being seen as a goat. But it's a very difficult thing because it's all about perception. Yeah, I I mean, I think the only way to get rid of the goat label is to take actions that show you're not one. Yeah. Uh, you know, make some moves, let yourself shine some more. Of course, the risk is that someone now thinks you're too much of a threat. And, and you know, that's the balance. The player out there needs to assess whether they think they can make an argument at the end if they just get there versus possibly not getting there. And, you know, I think that's why we see different players handle it differently. Like, well, I know I'm going to make it to the end. If I make it to the end, I have a shot. If I do these other activities, I won't even make it to the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I also think we need to remember most goats don't think they're goats. Mm-hmm. You know, that they believe they have an argument to make it the end. Yeah, that's true. All right. Our next question comes from FQ. Do the producers understand what makes Survivor great? Do you think all of those staff changes before Edge of Extinction aired were a result of knowing the season was a flop? Um, I Quite honestly, no, I don't think all the producers fully understand what makes Survivor great. But then I don't think even all Survivor viewers would agree on what makes it great because you go to the Survivor Facebook page and compare it to Reddit and you'll see quite a difference. Uh, You know, the producers are making a TV show and they aim for what they think will keep the show high up in the ratings. They seem to think that means surprises and idols and flashy moves. I obviously don't think those are the things that make Survivor great. And I don't think that's what's made it great over all these many years. Uh, so, you know, so, yeah, I'm going to say, no, they, they don't really understand. As for the staff changes, yeah, I do think that they were related to the outcome of the season. I, I don't see how they can blame casting for a situation that the twist created. Uh, so, uh, in my opinion, it looks like they were just defle- deflecting blame. But that is just my opinion. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I think the producers understand what makes for great television. And I think sometimes like the what the viewers want that makes Survivor great isn't really what makes for great TV. And so I do think that there is a little bit of a struggle there because clearly CBS wants people to watch the show and they want to do well in the ratings. And all of that makes sense. And that's what they should want. They should want a great television show. But I think sometimes the viewers are frustrated because the focus isn't about necessarily the game of survivor anymore. It's more about the television show of survivor. So I think it's, I think it's definitely hard. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next question is another uh, multiple person one. Dave Westwood asked, uh, curious if you still think the season was poorly edited based on the finale. Margaret Weeks, Weeks asked, 
Uh, it occurred to me that the editing this season should really have been why Gavin lost, yet we didn't see a ton of Gavin's gameplay. Do you think producers were showing us enough, or was there too much uh, left on the cutting room floor? David Sand asked, why do you think the editing chose to focus on other forms of strategizing from non-influencing endgamers and not focus more on uh, Edge of Extinction scenes with Chris? Do you feel like Gavin, Lauren, Victoria, and Julie were under-edited as a means to hide them and not have a stronger backlash from the viewers? These are all really interesting points. And I do think that one thing that it really boils down to is entertainment value. And the people who go on Survivor, and I will be one of those people, I went on Survivor because I wanted to win a million dollars. I didn't necessarily want to be on television. I wanted to win a million dollars. And so the way that I presented myself might not have been as entertaining as other people who were playing the season with me. And again, this is a television show. And are you not entertained is kind of the, the you know, idea that I think Survivor uh, producers are really looking for is they, they want that entertainment value. And I do think that the editing is a difficult part of that process because someone like Rick Devins is very entertaining television and you want to watch and see what Rick Devins is up to because he's entertaining. Other people like Victoria might've been just wanting to win a million dollars and not necessarily entertain the viewers. And so if the, if the producers don't have a lot to work with, well then they're not going to put you on the television screens because the people are going to be, not entertained. And I keep going back to that word, but that's really what it boils down to is that that's what they're looking for. And so I do think that there's probably a huge amount of things on the cutting room floor, but there might not have been anything that they thought had a high entertainment value versus things that they had with like Rick Devins. And they went down that path. But do I think it was horribly edited? I don't, basically, yeah. (laughs) I hate to say that, but. Even if it's not entertaining, we still should see it. We should still get to see it because we have so many unanswered questions in our mind as to why certain things happened. And I think it's it's disheartening for viewers who are left with so many questions about Gavin's game and why did people not have more respect for it or what Victoria was doing, even though people were talking about her being a threat to win the game. And we don't get to see it. So there's clearly got to be a lot of stuff that was cut. And we're left with a lot of unanswered questions. And so I do think that the editing focused more on the entertainment value as opposed to really justifying the season and why Chris won and why these other people didn't win. Yeah. And uh, well, that's what we're here for, but uh, <laughs> right. You know, uh, I, I'm surprised that you said that about your season because I thought you went in there and purposely infected your eyes so that you would be, <laughs> you know, more center stage and oh, get more course. TV time. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I tend to agree with, Uh, What you said and also what Rob has said, which is if there were TV gold in scenes from the other players, we would have seen it, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that that everyone there seemed content to let Rick have the limelight with the plan to get rid of them as soon as they could. And, you know, so I think that's just what happened as for gameplay. Yeah, there had to be more than what we saw. Uh, We know, for example, that the other three had agreed to vote out Aurora before Rick pulled out his idol. But we Mm -hmm. didn't see that. Well, why? Because the producers wanted to surprise us. Keep, you know, what's going to happen at this tribal council? Well, if they had shown us that there was already agreement, we wouldn't have had that. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and I do suspect that some of the others were under edited, at least in part because they didn't win. Uh, if they had been giving TV gold, that would have been different. But if they were talking strategy, the producers and editors might not have cared as much about showing that because it wasn't going to work out for them anyway. And all the strategy that they talked went out the window when Chris came back. Yeah. I mean, and going back to my season again, Adam and I were super close and that was never shown. Even though right. Adam, Adam won and I voted for Adam, but it, it was... It it all comes down to what kind of story do they want to tell? And in this particular season, for whatever reason, this was the story that they chose to tell. Right. Our next question comes from Terry Leo. If the night before the Survivor season started, the producers found out that an Edge of Extinction player came back and won and had been out of the game for over two weeks, would that have been their dream or nightmare scenario? And Stacy Sola asks a similar question. Do you think this was the type of outcome the producers were hoping for. Are they happy with the season behind closed doors or do they get why fans are down on the format? Yeah, I, I referenced earlier that the longtime casting director was let go after the season. And I don't think that's something you do if you're happy about the outcome. Uh, on the other hand, people have pointed out that they've done, the you know, producers have done similar twists uh, to this multiple times. We discussed it earlier. Uh, so how can we say they'd be unhappy about finally getting this outcome? I just feel like they did this in hopes of, well, like you mentioned earlier, Joe getting a win or, you know, maybe a different returnee. They didn't necessarily foresee a situation like the one that happened, which tells me they were, again, so blinded by their hopes uh, because a lot of us saw the possibility right away. Yeah. And I do want to add, too, that the cast really was a great cast. I don't I don't see a problem with who was actually chosen to be on the season. I think the problem really boils down to the theme of the season. And so I, I feel I feel for the individuals who are no longer there making the casting decisions because the end result of the show. I don't think that the end result came from a bad group of people. I think it came from a group of people that were playing the game of Survivor. Maybe not as showboaty as some would like for, as you said, television gold. But yeah, I mean, I think overall... This was an outcome that they were maybe secretly hoping for, for a returning player, someone like Joe, who would normally not be able to win a season. And this was an opportunity that, yes, you and I talked about before the season even started, that that was the hope here, was that Joe would win and that right. he would be the one that would come back from Extinction Island and, and, and take it. All right. Next question comes from Alan Foster. If Lauren doesn't play her idol for Chris at six. Do you think they still, they being producers, rehide an idol before the vote at five? That would have left Lauren and Chris with idols and still an immunity to play. So uh, Alan thinks maybe not. Yeah, Alan, you're right. They wouldn't have. Yeah, and I, I agree. I don't think uh, it, it would have been too much in my opinion. But then again, Jeff Probst has a different opinion on such matters. So <laughs> I would think they wouldn't have uh, rehidden one, but who knows what Jeff wanted. So. Yeah, it's usually only after they get played do they rehide them. So right. probably not. Our next question comes from Eliza422. Regarding not keeping your scheming too secret, how can that be done for those under the radar players like Gavin? For example, you mentioned in the Aurora vote that the others let the jury believe that Rick drove that vote. How could they have let the jury know that? There have been a lot of players who get dinged for this rule, but in many cases, I don't know how they can go about reversing that. Any suggestions for future players? Yeah, I think we mentioned in Why Aurora Lost that they could have simply said something like, we're going to go with the plan we had when we came in here. 
you know, put something out there that shows Rick was not driving uh, this, um, you know, and that would have shown that they already knew they were voting out Aurora. It wasn't Rick's theatrics there. Uh, but beyond that, the thing is, in this case, it was part of Gavin's strategy to stay under the radar and quiet at tribal councils. So my suggestion for future players is to not do that. Uh, you, you need to show that you're playing the game, not so much that you become a threat, but you can't get to the point that the jury dismisses you as being a non-entity. And, you know, it's this, it, we've talked about this. You, too many people this season had this plan. We're going to lay low. We're going to strategize behind the scenes. We're going to control the votes behind the scenes. And then at final three, we're going to come out and see, aha, this is what I did. It's too late. Mm-hmm. It almost never happens that way. And because the jurors come in with, like we talked about this, ideas about you already. And it, it's just too much to say, you know what you thought about me the last 38 days? That's all wrong. Right. Um, you know, unless you you come up with some great reasoning or the jurors really dislike the other players, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And the other thing, too, to always be mindful of is the jury only sees what happens at tribal council. They don't see what's going on back on the beach. They don't see the discussions that are being had. And that's your only opportunity to really show your own game to the jury. And so those big moves with playing idols, having an immunity necklace around your neck, handing it off to somebody else so you can make fire. I mean, these are all things that they actually get to see. They don't get to see all of the scheming and plotting that you're doing. And so if you do have a plan, they need to know that that was part of your plan. And unfortunately, the Aurora vote, even Aurora gave Rick credit for it. And someone should have corrected that, you know, because she was even saying, yeah, you guys fell for it, basically. And and I do think that was a lost opportunity for all of the players who had come in with a great plan. And of course, no one's going to know because they're sitting at the tribal council that it transpires at and not sitting at the beach when you came up with that plan. So I do think that that is a moment that anyone who's thinking about playing this game has to think about. That is all that they see is they see what happens at tribal council. And then they talk about you back at Ponderosa or on edge of extinction. All right. Uh, Next question comes from Dave Westwood Uh, has a fan fiction scenario. Everyone follows Wentworth's advice by pulling a Boston Rob and voting Devons out. Once he gets back from edge of extinction, how does the season play out? Oh, these, these scenarios, I would say it's a very less exciting season. (laughs) I would be very sad for most of it, as Devins was my winner pick. But who knows, if Devins goes home, maybe David kind of steps up and takes that Devins spot, if you will, and and plays the game like Devins was, because David's been there before and he understands putting on a show at Tribal Council and hiding fake idols and finding real idols. So I don't know if maybe David would have been the one that, that would have run away with it, but I do think that I do think it would have been interesting to see the dynamics of the individuals after Devons left the game, because we if he had been voted out, we would have been left with some very big personalities. And who would have taken over from there? I don't know. But maybe Kelly would have been one of the ones taking over because she kind of set that in motion. I I really I, I don't know other than it would be very less exciting. Yeah, I mean, it is a huge hypothetical. I, I still think comma implodes pretty quickly. 
And then it becomes a matter of whether they can pull themselves back together again or if war Kaloran uh, are able to exploit the cracks. Um, you know, then again, no matter what happens, Chris comes back from the edge and wins anyway, making everything else irrelevant. <laughs> There's always that. Yeah. There's always that. All right. Brooks Stotts writes, is there in some sort of universe in which Chris gives his necklace to Julie? That it would become Julie's decision on who goes to the final two and who decides fire. I love this question, by the way. Brett also asks, do you think at final four, Gavin and Julie could have turned down Chris's immunity necklace? Chris won it. Why should they have to accept it? Again, I love these questions. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know the answer, but I don't think the person on the receiving end of the necklace has a choice in the matter. I don't think uh, Jeff Probst has ever said outright. But it would be interesting to see what would happen if someone were to try to refuse it. As far as I know, it's all up to the person who won immunity. So they have the only decision in the matter. Nobody else does. Here's my thought, though. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Julie had taken it and then been like, I'm going to pass it off to somebody else? But I don't know that she had that ability. I mean, I mean, you were at tribal councils. Did Jeff ever say when he says uh, so-and-so won immunity, you now have the ability to give that immunity to someone else? Has he ever said, but that person can refuse it if they want? He hasn't. But here's the thing. Jeff loves it when stuff happens that doesn't normally happen and that it might not necessarily even have been figured out or discussed at all. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to the many rules that I had to read before I went out there to play, and I don't remember that necessarily being specified. But it would have been fascinating to watch what the response would have been. Because is Jeff going to jump in and be like, oh, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. <laughs> I don't think he would. I really don't think he would. I think he would have let it play out to see what happens. Because that that is what the producers love. They love those moments that are unexpected and that people don't don't see coming. And if Julie had said in that moment, you know what? Uh, I'm actually going to now pass this off to Gavin. <laughs> I mean, who knows? It would have been really fascinating to see. It would be a game of hot potato. They would play tribal council music. And whenever it stopped, that's who has right? uh, you know, that's who has immunity. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was it was a fascinating thing to really think about, because I did actually wonder when, once he passed immunity on to her, that did it come with it? In addition to immunity, now she gets to choose who's actually making fire. That thought crossed my mind because right. I feel like those two things were connected where you have immunity and you get to choose. Now, listen, she has immunity, but Crystal gets to choose. So I do see that there is a correlation between the two and that perhaps maybe it should have been up to Julie. Yeah, I think they separate it. I think it's like you won immunity or you won the challenge. So you get to choose and you get immunity. Yeah. yeah you know, and in that case. Winning immunity is kind of pointless because you're the one choosing anyway. So really, it's it, the, the immunity necklace at that point for Final Four is meaningless. You win the ability to choose who goes to fire. Right. The person who has the immunity necklace is absolutely meaningless at that point. Yeah. So it would have been so much fun, though, if that yeah, had been her yeah. response. Yes. Yes. All right. Next question from Mackie Salcedo. Uh, can comparisons be made to Spencer in season 31 and Gavin or between them? Simply put, no finalist that is still considered a kid can be given a win over someone over 25. I don't think so. I really don't think that it's a, about age. I mean, we've seen quite a few young winners. I mean, Michelle was young. Fabio was young. Todd Herzog was young. These are Adam. all people. 
And Adam, yes, Adam Klein was young. So I do think that there is an absolute ability for anyone to win this game, despite how old they are, and that it doesn't come down to age. I really don't think that that's what that's what it boils down to. Yeah, I mean, it it can sometimes, but I I don't think Gavin had as much of a kid image because he was married, you know, and that even though he was only recently married, it still puts you into a different uh, grouping when people look at you. You know, mm-hmm. oh, he's not a kid anymore. He's married now. Um, and, and so that, it, you know, at least moved him one notch higher. I, I don't think that was an issue this time. Yeah, I don't think so. The next question comes from Mark Percy. Rob has discussed the gender imbalance that seems to exist on Survivor. How does that factor into the rules and affect how different players, both based on gender and archetype, should apply the rules? And does it change which rules take greater priority? I think this is where rule three comes into play and people need to be flexible. Uh, for example, if there is a general anti-idol feeling in your tribe, you can't just ignore it and blatantly go idol hunting. Uh, similarly, if there's a majority alliance of men who think women should take on traditional cooking and homemaking roles around camp, unfortunately, the game situation means a woman can't just tell them to screw off, which is you know what you would normally want to do. So then they would need to find other ways to work around that person or that alliance, most likely scheming and trying to find a weak link in that alliance. And uh, there was an international season uh, very recently, by the way, that did have a guy who seemed to feel this way about women. And uh, yeah, they eventually got rid of him. Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is always going to be some change according to specific circumstances. but. Some things always hold true. Uh, strategy moves you forward, but you have to be avo- you, know, you have to avoid being seen as too much of a threat. You also do have to play the social game, no matter who you are, if you expect to be able to win. I think gender imbalances all too often come from the production side of things, like putting in the fire making challenge and how and where they hide idols. There is some of it, of course, you know, we talked about the uh, quote unquote middle aged mom situation, but I just don't think it's as much as the production side because the players just have to know. You said this earlier, you have to know the archetype you're coming in with and play your game accordingly. Yeah, I think that that some summarizes it perfectly about being flexible. You have to be very mindful of who you're playing with and where those people are coming from. and don't step up because you feel like maybe you're being insulted or that you find something not in the norm of how you would live your life. You have to understand you're now living on an island with people that you don't know, and you're going to have to be accepting of certain behaviors that you might not have otherwise been accepting of because you were playing a game for a million dollars. So you have to be very flexible in your approach. And if somebody wants to take the lead role on something, fine, let them do that. If it's they feel better about building a shelter or going to go fishing or whatever it is that they might want to do. That's fine. You have to find your role in the group and you have to determine how you can fit into that group in order to further your own game. So you just have to be very mindful of those things. But I do agree that that a lot of the the gender imbalance really does come from the production side and not necessarily the game side. I mean, I know when I was out there, I never even... I never even considered that. That wasn't a thing that I was considering. I was always considering a person based on how they were playing the game and how they could benefit my game as opposed to anything about them, you know, gender wise. It didn't didn't affect any of the decisions I made. 
All right. Uh, next question comes from Rachel Darwin, who I met out in Philadelphia. Uh, and, and she said, I remember Chris really popping on first one out. He and his four Monica were one of the more memorable things for her. Uh, but then, of course, he was third boot and we never learned anything about him. And the one thing we did learn, we learned three times uh, him and his sh- perfect game, schmurfic game. Uh, there are many things that are sitting poorly with me after the season, but I think the biggest is that this is the winner I know the absolute least about. Uh, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that aspect. The four Monica stuck out in my mind as well, too. I thought it was hysterical, and that was how he approached Josh Wiggler. Four Monica, it was great. And I did think that he came across really strong in his pregame interview, but he did talk about this golden boy image and wanting to play a perfect game. And and he really did kind of create a narrative for himself. And that's one thing that I think people who want to play this game need to be mindful of. When you're going out there and you're starting these pregame interviews, you are creating the image in which you are going to be then seen. And he talked about himself being the golden boy one in this perfect game, which then became part of his narrative when he was on the show. So you really have to kind of create your own story. And I think he did that. But unfortunately, yeah, he was voted out third. And because he was on edge of extinction, we just didn't see very much of him. And it is sad because normally there's this winner's edit component that we are able to talk about. And you do get more information from people who are in the final six and you have more of a story behind each of them, usually, especially the person who ends up winning. And yeah, we don't have that. And it's and I do think this is just a product, again, of the theme that was created. And it's unfortunate for Chris because we don't know him like we should know him because he is the winner. And I do think that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I I, I agree. It is certainly a huge problem with the outcome, uh, you know. You said last week that it felt like we had no closure. And I I think not knowing Chris was a part of it. Uh, I spoke to several casual viewers I know, and they thought the ending was stupid. They had no idea who Chris was. And, uh, you know, I I don't know how you fix that as a producer, other than featuring him more and giving away that he was important or creating a web series like we talked about earlier. Of course, the other way to fix it is not do this. But, (laughs) you know, this was based on what they had done. Well, and how about the fact that they even got rid of Exit Press and Web Confessionals halfway through the season? And that certainly that didn't help. It certainly didn't help. I know there was one Web Confessional. He went on for like six minutes and it was. Uh, that was the one I dozed off during. Yes, but at least we had something, you know, so I feel like it would have been great if they had done that. Even, you know, the people on the edge of extinction so we could hear from them and then maybe at least we would get to know them a little bit more. But yeah, it is sad. Right. Our next question comes from Dan Flaherty. Do you guys think passive strategic gameplay will ever be rewarded again, or will juries continue to always give the money to the most aggressive, flashy player in the final five? Uh, First, I want to be clear that I don't think strategic gameplay is passive. It may look passive, but that's different, and that falls on the player in question. I do think that strategic gameplay will be rewarded, but it will depend on the season, the players and how much the producers force feed them the idea of big moves. Uh, You know, this season in particular was a direct reaction against how they erroneously viewed Laurel from Ghost Island. And the thing these big movers and shakers need to realize is, is that they get cut down time and time again. You know, think about this. If Rick and Chris hadn't come back into the game, it looks like we probably would have had a final three of quieter players who were strategy oriented and one of them would have had to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
No, I do think that it really is dependent upon the season and it's going to be dependent upon who's playing that season with you and what people will, will look at when they're making their determination as to who should win is going to be what they would expect from a survivor winner. It's not always about big flashy moves. And I think a lot of that we see more on the TV, but it, that's not necessarily what goes into the decision that people are making when it comes down to who should win the game necessarily. Yeah. All right. Uh, FQ again asks, uh, if you could remove any current elements from Survivor or add any elements, what would they be and why? How about making fire at four? I yes. that. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be gone. I would also love to go back to a final two. I feel like that was uh, just, I don't know, there was just something about it that I just appreciated more because we see so often that there's three people sitting there and only two people get a vote. And we also saw it this season where Ron didn't want to vote for Julie because he knew she wasn't going to win. So he didn't want to throw his vote away. So he voted for someone different, even though he was close with Julie. So I do think there's that component of it as well, where you have a third person that people don't, don't want to vote for because they don't think they're going to win. And so they'd rather just focus on two people. So I think that a final two would be better than a final three. And I would also... I, I do think we need to have less idols. I appreciate idols. Obviously, I was saved by one and it was great. But I think less is more. And um, can we stop giving like freebies to people in the game? <laughs> like, I don't know, in their bag. Yes, <laughs> can yes. we stop doing that, too? I think people need to earn it. Unless it comes from another player, it shouldn't be given by production. Production should never be handing out a free idol ever. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to bring in, because you brought up a couple things that actually are in a future question from Brian Kobik, who uh, said, what changes to the game would you like to see made? Uh, I personally want fewer idols and uh, and also a final two. And uh, somehow I missed that these two should be connected. But um, I, I'm going to agree with you, obviously, on get rid of fire making. Obviously, fewer idols and advantages, not the ones put in their bag also. And also fewer twists to bring the game back to its core a bit more. Um, but I'm going to disagree with you about final two a little bit because more like I'm not sure because we saw too many final two situations where the best player was booted at three, like Rob, uh, Suri, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And in a final three, yeah, there's almost always one player who's clearly not going to win. Uh, but you can at least hope that two solid players make it instead of having a final two. That's one player who's clearly going to win and one who's not. No, that's true. That is, that is definitely a, a good argument. So I, I I just feel like it's a different, maybe it's because of the fire making too that I'm becoming less interested in the three because I do yeah. feel like that third player is now kind of like a throwaway because they're getting well, taken as opposed to earning it. Right. And I think the fire making was done, you know, f final three was done because people were getting cut at three. Uh, I think fire making was done because people were getting cut at four. And it's like mm -hmm. you and I talked about at the time. Well, what are they going to do? Five, six, seven, right. you know, it. it at some point, it has to stop. And I think final three was a good place for it. So, yeah. So maybe if they just get rid of the fire making, then final three wouldn't be as painful. Right. Okay. So FQ asks another question. Some state that the recent changes to Survivor is the game evolving. Do you agree with this? Why or why not? Well, this is, uh, we have to remember that evolution doesn't occur just in one direction. There's a common misconception that all evolution is positive, but it isn't. Um, you know, when cave fish evolved to lose their eyesight, it, it's neither positive nor negative. It's just they don't need it anymore. And so with that in mind, yes, the game is evolving. I don't like the way it's evolving, 
Um, you know, the continued focus on big moves is pushing an agenda that producers clearly believe is better for TV, but it isn't better for the TV that I want to watch. So I think the producers are going the way of the blind cave fish. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to add to it because that was amazing. <laughs> the blind cave fish. Great. I like your answer. I think we're going to leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Ishe Marciano uh, asks Jessica, now that you've analyzed uh, the rules for a few seasons, in, in the case you play again, what lessons from the rules would you take to your own game? Either changes from your first time or just lessons you've learned from the podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll get another uh, second chance vote and see you play again. Well, I appreciate your desire to see me play again. Thank you very much for that. And I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to have to refuse to answer this question. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away, right? I mean... If people listen that I could potentially be playing with, they're going to know. So, yeah, I have to be very careful. I do think that I will say this, that there were things that I did the first time I played that I would definitely not do if I played again. Uh, it's a it's a huge learning curve when you're out there trying to figure out how to do certain things and the ins and outs. And and I do think that there are significant changes I would make. And also, I think that if I had gone out there and known David's rules before I played, which I, I have to admit I didn't know because I didn't know there was this whole underworld of Survivor that existed. Overworld, overworld. Overworld. <laughs> so, yeah, I do think that that would have certainly made me change some of the things that I did. I do think that I you know, schemed and plotted a little too quick, too soon. But I, I do think that the things that I've learned from the first time playing and doing this podcast would definitely affect my gameplay the second time I hopefully get to play. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes from Addison Mueller. Which of the castaways this season did you each find to be the easiest to work out why they lost and which was the hardest? I would say the hardest was the finale because it was just such a ridiculous outcome and we had so little to work with. Um, you know, and that's why we ended up taking a, an extra day before we recorded in part. Uh, the easiest was probably Reem because of the way everyone in the tribe explained exactly what she did wrong. And we saw it. Uh, you know, there wasn't a particularly deep strategic reason that we had to suss out. It was it was kind of out there in the open. Yeah. And I do agree that I, I do think that the, the finale was definitely hard. I think some of the easiest ones to work out, though, also would have been Rick because Rick we saw so much of his game that and also they were so vocal about the fact that he was going to win. <laughs> so that, yes, that was yes. certainly helpful in, in our determinations as to why he ended up losing, because everyone was talking all the time about how he was going to win the game. I do agree with Reem being an easy one to figure out. And also Wendy. Wendy was was relatively yes. uh, easy as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, Margaret Weeks asked. Why did Bran Stark win and Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen lose? I, I guess uh, I, I guess this is Game of Thrones. I don't know. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that we're past the spoiler period because um, I, I'm guessing by now people either know what this means or they don't care. Uh, so uh, sorry, everyone. I guess we should have put a little spoiler warning in there. Um, uh, and uh, so uh, so which is more important or which is more disappointing Chris winning Survivor or Bran Stark winning the Iron Throne? Uh, if if people don't know this by now, then you're 
truly not Game of Thrones fans, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it because, yes, uh, Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen did lose. Uh, why did Bran Stark win? Because they created a jury or a panel to vote for him to win that didn't make any sense. Kind of like what we saw here in this uh, season of Survivor. So, yeah, I I don't think that the Game of Thrones ending was what the viewers wanted. I think it was, and I realize this is about Survivor, so I won't go on about this forever, but I think it was poor creative writing and lack of character character development and then suddenly they were like ta-da here we are and we were all Wait, I, I thought you said you weren't going to talk about <laughs> so yeah we as as someone who has watched game of thrones from the beginning and you really learn to appreciate how much work was put into creating a character to then just have it all dismissed because other writers took over and decided that's not significant or important anymore and i didn't like it and i do think though unfortunately the more disappointing outcome was Bran Stark winning the Iron Throne. I, I, as much as the season frustrated me with what happened in Survivor and, and Chris winning, I do still, I got to give kudos to Chris for what he did because he did what he had to do in order to win based on the circumstances that were provided to him. Uh, Bran Stark was just a really bad ending to a great show. Yeah, and as, I mean, obviously I don't watch Game of Thrones, but uh, I say obviously because of what I said earlier, but, uh, you know, Rob has said, at least with Survivor, we get another season around the corner. Game of Thrones, this was it. Yeah. You know, this was the ending. So, mm-hmm. so anyway. Horrifying. So here, let's ask a question on a, based on a show you like to watch from Steven Johnson. Based on the rules, which non-human Star Trek culture is best set up to play in when Survivor? Additionally, which Star Trek captain would do best on Survivor and who would play the worst? All right. Um, and it, we have to remember that in Star Trek, alien cultures are often what are called monoculture. So like everyone is the same, you know, so it, they're not as uh, as uh, nuanced as human culture. So my first thought was that Cardassians would do well because not Kardashians. So uh, Kardashians would do well because they're strong, sneaky and vicious, but they'd probably be seen as huge threats and uh, targeted early. Uh, Ferengi obviously scheme and plot too much. I know that's what you were thinking. Obviously, you know that they do that. Obviously, uh, of course. Yeah. So I settled on Oyo's race, uh, the shapeshifters. Me too. Could, yeah, you're right. <laughs> they could literally be whatever anyone wants them to be. They would make Tony's spy shacks look like child's play because they could become Anything they they want to spy on other players, they could even pretend to be another player to really uh, throw things askew. That would be amazing. So, yeah. Uh, as for which captain would do best and and who would do the worst, uh, that's a that's a tougher one. Um, I'm going to say Kirk would not do that great because uh, he would just jump right into things. Probably, probably Picard would do the best. Uh, I, I think that he has that good that good balance that would uh, enable him to do the best. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to see him soon on CBS all access uh, uh, 25 years later. There you go. Excellent. All right. Uh, John, John Johnston wants to know which survivor legend do you want a statue of? I love his name. I said that the last time he sent us a question, but he's got the best name, John, John Johnston. It's so good. And I would love to know, is this a very large, head statue like we're going to see of rob and yes <laughs> so i would go with Suri. that's who i would like a big statue of Suri. she is okay. just incredible and i i love her 
gameplay. I love how she came into the game and how she created her own game and really socially just took it to another level. So I would definitely pick Suri. Uh, I'm going off book for this. If someone's making giant head statues, I want one of myself. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want a big head statue of themselves? I, right? I know, really. Okay. All right. Our next question comes from Gareth Bate. Can you make predictions of how this next season could go terribly wrong? To me, Rob and Sandra have the potential to use the info they learn to guide the winner of their choice to victory and to sabotage other players. He also goes on to provide an example. Person A goes to Rob and Sandra and they hatch a plan to take out person B. Then B wins immunity. B now goes to Idle Island. Do Rob and Sandra tell B about the A plan? Are they like genies who are loyal to their new guest? I have to think that Rob and Sandra will be restricted from communicating about what other people have discussed. That means mm -hmm. if player B wants to take out A after Rob and Sandra already talked to A about taking out B, they should objectively discuss it with, with uh, player B, but not reveal anything about the former's plan. So advice, yes. Information, no. I would hope. But what did we see happen with Exile Island? I realize it's different, but yeah. all of the players yeah. who are telling the other players, if you get back in, what do you have to do to win? And yeah. who are we voting for? And then him using that information with the players who are still in the game. I'm hoping that we don't see that again. I really hope that they put a kibosh on that and don't allow that to happen. Yeah. All right. We are running really short on time here. So unfortunately, we're going to have to skip a couple questions. But um, I am going to uh, go to our last question here, Jessica. Okay. Uh, from Arjun Kishore. Uh, how do you feel that Chris's win would have been received if someone like Andrea, Ozzy, Tina, or even Lil or Burton had won the game in their season? Do you think the level of negativity is because someone who was voted out of the game, or is it more that someone who had played the game so little had won the game? I think this is, it's tough because I do think that the negativity that comes from this win is because he had played so little time because you, you have to kind of think about it in, in this way. People play idols and they've technically been voted out. I mean, I was, I was technically voted out, but the idols canceled out those votes. So it does happen that people get voted out, but they get to stay in the game. Cause you see that with idols all the time. Kelly Wentworth, she had nine of her votes that uh, ended up not counting against her because she played an idol. And so I don't think it's necessarily about being voted out. I do think it's the amount of game that you've played. And he, in this particular instance, Chris did not play much of the game. He spent 28 days on Exile Island, which allowed him to have a different opportunity in this game than people that were forced if you will to play the game for 39 days because they didn't have a chance to go make nice with the people on extinction island or exile island whatever the hell it's called but i do <laughs> think that i do think that that's where the negative negativity stems from it stems from the amount of time you played the game as opposed to getting voted out yeah you raise a very interesting point and i know i i, I know you've raised it before but yeah idols you know, you have been voted out. You just stop it. And yet over time, we've come to accept idols as being a part of the game. And it's really then getting your torch snuff that mattered, not the votes, but mm -hmm. getting your torch snuff that matters. And so, you know, I, I think it's a combination of, of all these factors. I think some people were very upset when it looked like Rick was going to win because he had been voted out. They didn't care that he was only gone for a few days. He had been voted out. And the point of survivor is to not be voted out. 
with that said, I think the level of negativity against Chris Wynn was not only that he was voted out, but when and how long he did actually play. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Kimura did some math in the patron Facebook group where this question was asked. And he noted that if Lil won, she would have played 27 days. If Ozzy won, he would have been played. He would have played 24 days and been voted out twice, though once was his own choosing. Uh, Chris came back and only had to make it through one vote. It mm-hmm. was that level of ridiculous that united so many people in opposition. Um, you know, as for Lil or Burton, I think if they would have won, people would have hated it because that was the first time that concept was sprung on us. And, you know, I, I also doubt people would have been happy about Andrea winning in that situation because it was her first season and she was up against Boston Rob. People didn't know her then like we know her now. Um, you know, people, some people at least might have accepted Ozzy winning because it was actually part of his strategy, if strategy is the right word. I wouldn't have been happy, but at least it would have made more sense than what happened here. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. So, all right, there we have it. Uh, sorry to anyone whose questions we didn't get to. We are just running up against the clock here. Uh, thanks to everyone for the questions. Uh, this closes the book on Edge of Extinction for us as I now turn my attention to catching up with the first couple episodes of South African Survivor. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have I, to do the same. Yeah, I do have one more Edge item to share. And this is what I talked about at the beginning. I collaborated with Aaron Robertson uh, on a wand-off submission that unfortunately didn't make it into the final wiggle room. Uh, but at least I amused myself. And uh, I want to You amused Aaron, me as well. Yes. Uh, I want to thank Aaron for his singing talent and help. So uh, when we're done, we're going to close out the podcast with the song. So just keep listening after we say goodbye. Uh, It's quite, quite funny. You have to listen. (laughs) Don't overdo it here. We don't want to put, you know, super high expectations. Okay. All right. You're not rapping, which is unfortunate. I did not sing at all. So you should have been the one doing it because your rapping was something else. Okay. Aaron has a much, much better voice than I do. And, uh, but before we get to that, I want to remind people to check out the IRHAP patron program by heading over to robhaswebsite.com slash patron and help support all of these podcasts and find a great community of people you can talk to about Survivor, Big Brother, and more in the uh, special patron Facebook groups. And also, I'm going to go back and maybe answer some of the questions that didn't get uh, make it here. I, I think there were only one or two, but I'm going to go back there and do that. Uh, so again, just check out everything at robhaswebsite.com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say hello to us there. Yes. And you should also follow us on Twitter. I am at Jessica Lewis 89 and David Bloomberg is at David Bloomberg. You should follow us both because then you get both sides of the conversation and you get to see all the selfies that David Bloomberg likes to post because he's really big into selfies. Just so you know. Yes. Really big into selfies. Very much into selfies. And again, so that was at Jessica Lewis 89 at David Bloomberg. And also, if you feel like going over to Instagram, I have an Instagram account as well, too. It's Jessica Lewis 6789. I'll just throw that out there. But yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for following us that already does and those who are going to. But yeah, David's going to be answering more questions so you can get to see the answers there. And also, you can go on to my Twitter and you can check out those eBay links for the poster. You can order and do all those wonderful, fun things we talked about earlier. Yeah. And speaking of that poster, you know, again, the the. uh in case you didn't write it down earlier, the URL is uh, tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. And uh, I've mentioned this before. If you are outside the U.S., the eBay link won't work. So contact uh, uh, shipping department Jessica directly. Yes, please do. DM me and we will make it happen for you. All right. Uh, for the hashtag, there is only one thing I can think of. Blind cavefish. <laughs> 
And then, you know, that'll be our own little inside joke, listeners, <laughs> as to who we were talking about when I called them blind cavefish. I I think that's great. I like it. So, it's very good. And of course, there's the hashtag for this podcast overall, which is YXLost. Uh, everyone should make sure, even though this is our last Survivor podcast uh, for the season, uh, make sure you're getting all the Survivor commentary uh, you can handle going forward. I know Rob has some interviews, some deep dives that are just waiting to go. Uh, so make sure you subscribe at robhasapodcast.com slash Survivor or on your favorite podcatcher, which is probably the way most people do it. We are also on the reality TV wrap ups feed in both places. You can find all the great Survivor content. Plus, uh, RHAP, uh, sorry, the reality TV wrap ups feed uh, becomes very much uh, involved in Big Brother. So you'll get a lot of that there. Uh, thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who does the editing on all the Y Blank Loss podcasts. Thanks, as always, to Will for America for the theme song. Thank you, Jessica, for a great season, even though it ended the way it did. Uh, I think we still had fun along the way, except maybe last week. I must say it's it's always fun and an enjoyable time to do the podcast with you. So thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to do so. I think last week we got a lot of our anger issues dealt with and we were able to release a lot of that pressure. So thank you for giving me that opportunity as well. I think the listeners appreciated it, too, because it sounded like they were going through much the same. So this has been one for the books, for sure. And I will slam the book on this one, uh, this particular season. I love Survivor so much. And I'm hoping that the next season doesn't leave us feeling the same type of anxiety that we felt with uh, this particular season. But thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we'll be looking forward to season 39. That's right. We will see you then. Uh, who knows? We might see you sometime over the summer. You never know. Sometimes we make surprise appearances. Uh, for now, remember to stick around for the song by Aaron and me. Bye. Let me tell you a story about a man named Chris. Only salesman who left Survivor Fist. The day 35, he came back into the game with the goal of putting out Rick's flame. Rick Devins, that is. The oh yeah man. The next thing you know, Chris is a millionaire, but viewers are more concerned that Joey cut his hair. They still have trouble telling him apart from Eric. True fans remember he's the one with the big 